one and second grade or below, they can head to Children's Church. We would encourage the rest of you to please stay standing as we go to the Scriptures this morning. Before we get any, any further, I want to say, I want to remind you that He is risen. We are going to be reading about that very reality today from the Gospel of John. And we're going to be reading John chapter 20. We're going to be reading a significant portion of that, verses 1 through 23. Because we want to make sure that if you are going to show up at church on Easter Sunday, which we are so glad you're here, that you hear the Easter story. And so as we stand in reverence to the Word, the Gospel of John accounts the resurrection in this way. He says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone had already been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said, and said, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and, and as they were going to the tomb, the two were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrapping lying there, but he didn't go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrapping lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on his face, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked in the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sit in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, they, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, sir, if they have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to the Father and to your Father and my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that she had said and that he had said these things to her. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side, and the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they will be forgiven. But if you retain the sins of any, they will be retained. 
Please be seated. Peace be with you. These were the first words that Jesus said to his disciples when he appeared to them after the resurrection. It's a scene that, that, that it's hard for me to imagine, but, but I, I love to think about because what, a, what an exciting time in that terrifying sense of the word. The, Jew, the, the Jews had killed Jesus and, and, and the disciples of Jesus were fearful that they might share that same fate. And so at the end of this day, there's been all of this commotion and we've had both Mary Magdalene and Joanna and, and, and another Mary and, and, and all these people had reported that they had seen Jesus. They had seen an angel, that the body was missing and all that stuff. And the, the disciples are still trying to process what's going on. But they know something has happened and they can't decide just as yet whether that something that has happened, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? And to err on the side of caution, we find them at the night uh, of this night, uh, the night of the first day of the week, in a room together with the door locked for fear that someone may be coming to get them. And suddenly, without a latch being undone, without a door creaking, without one step being stepped up a stair to an upper room without any warning whatsoever, Jesus is in their midst. And it's the Jesus that they've always known, but it's not the Jesus that they've always known. Because they look in his face and they see that this is the rabbi, this is the teacher, this is the one that we have been following. He is the same, and yet he is different. The one who stands before them, he has holes in his hand. And in his feet. And they may not have been able to see it, but they may have. But there was a wound in his side. And yet, there's more to him that makes him different. Because no longer is he dirty. No longer is he smell the smell that we would expect someone from first century Palestine to smell like. No longer is he covered in blood. In fact, as they look at him, apart from the holes in his hands and at his side, he is perfect. Like no one they have ever seen before. And I'm sure for just a moment, terror struck them. As they wondered for a moment, are we seeing a ghost or is this really him? And in that moment, Jesus spoke. Peace be with you. This was like that last thing that broke forth a dam and suddenly all of the disciples, all of those in those room, jump up and rush to Jesus. Can we touch him? Can we hold him? Can we hug him? Can we feel him? Is it really him? And they rushed to him and they saw him and they were excited about it and, and there was a huge commotion. Yes, this is Jesus. Yes, he is really alive. And then when all of that happens, suddenly th there's a calm again and they take a step back and they're probably crying and they're joyful and they're excited and they, they don't even know how to process what's happening. And then they're just waiting for him to say something again. And once again, he says these exact same words, peace be with you. 
Now, we're reading this in English. If we were to go back to the language that the Gospel of John was written in, it would be in Greek. But if we had to go back even one step beyond that to what words did Jesus actually use, they would have actually been Aramaic. And so this phrase, peace be with you, has jumped a couple of languages to get to our ears. But I want you to kind of understand what he is saying in this moment. What is most likely he was saying was some form of the word in Hebrew that is shalom, which means peace. In Jesus' day, this would have been used as as both a greeting and a farewell to anybody that you met. And if you were a Jewish man living in first century Palestine, as you would see someone on the road or as you would leave someone's house, these would be the words that you would say in that comings and goings. Shalom. And while this may have been a standard greeting that they had heard Jesus use over and over and over again, That the disciples themselves had used this very phrase, peace be with you, shalom, their whole life. Today, in this moment, it took on a whole new meaning. In fact, I think that this, this phrase and this word and this greeting of shalom or peace be with you was so important that both John and Luke, when he recorded it, used these exact words. They wanted the people who were reading and learning about who Jesus was to know that when he first greeted his disciples, that his first words were these words, that they were a message of peace and something that the church even today desperately needs to understand. To understand this passage, we need to understand all the things that Jesus meant with this, with this phrase. Luke's translation of this same greeting found in Luke chapter 24, verse 36, says this, Peace be to you. It was something that was a declaration of, of something to you, almost as though it were a gift. Peace I give to you. Peace I leave with you. More than a greeting, it was a declaration of the one who created the heavens and the earth. May God give you peace. And brothers and sisters, that is exactly what Jesus had come to accomplish. But it was peace in a way that neither Jew nor apostle nor disciple could quite fully understand. Jesus knew this because he explained it this way in John chapter 14. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let them be fearful. See, Jesus had not made peace between mankind and the rest of creation, at least not yet. That's what many of this day and age were hoping for. The peace that they wanted from their Messiah was a peace that was a worldly peace, a, almost a national peace that no longer would Israel or the nation of Israel have to be afraid of those around them. They didn't have to be afraid of the Romans or the Philistines, the Egyptians or the Persians. They wanted to be free from the fear that someone was going to come and harm them. And when Jesus said, I have come to bring you peace, he had to make a point of telling him it is not the peace you expect. It is not going to be necessarily a peace that we find in this world. 
On the contrary, Jesus made peace between God and man. Paul communicated this well in Romans chapter 5. Beginning at the very beginning in verse 1, he says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into the grace in which we now stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. To put this in in maybe a little bit simple words, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross had paid the debt that our sin had accrued. Jesus' resurrection had defeated death in order to give us new life in Christ. That which we owed because of our sin and our shame, Jesus had paid. And so now the enmity and the hostility and the division that was between us and God because we were in rebellion towards God, not the other way, had now been satisfied. And we have been made right with Christ through, we've been made right with God through Christ. Because of what Jesus has done, God's wrath directed towards us and towards our sin has been satisfied and we have been declared right. In right standing before God. But please understand, this only happens if you have placed your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord of all. John himself, the writer of this gospel, would later communicate this very idea in one of his letters. First John, in chapter 4, we read this. By, the love of God, by this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sins. See, that word propitiation, that's a fancy word that you probably don't use on a daily basis. You might see it in a crossword uh, in the paper probably today. And it means that he was the price paid to satisfy the debt we owed. See, when Jesus looked at his disciples and they were looking at him He said, peace be to you. Peace be with you. You now have peace with God. Which means what he had done had worked. Jesus was victorious and the debt is paid. So Jesus' declaration of peace was to all those who would place their faith in Christ... But the question has to come up, how long will it last? I have no doubt that there may be some of you, even here today, that can't help but hear that question whispering in your heart. You may say to yourself, I I believe in Jesus. And there have been times in my life where I have really believed in Jesus and followed him. I've tried to do my very best. I've tried to show that I really believe what I say I believe. And I've tried to follow Jesus just like this Bible says, but, but I've messed up so bad. 
I've gone down the wrong path. I've gone off and done my own things to disastrous consequences. And it may have been months, years, decades since I have really had any sort of conversation or fellowship with God that wasn't superficial and fake. Surely I do not still have peace with God. Surely by now he's given up on me. And I get it. I understand that feeling. I understand what it feels like to get swept off down a road that you didn't really initially intend on going on. It starts with a small compromise. It starts with a little mistake. Well, I don't really like that, so I'm not going to do that. Well, I know the Bible tells me not to do this, but it looks like a lot of fun. And suddenly we are swept off down a road we didn't plan on going on. And, and it happens so quick that one thing leads to two things and two things lead to four things and four things lead to 16 things. And suddenly you feel as though you are miles away from the God who loves you and gave his son for you. And as you look to the light, it is so far away. You think to yourself, surely it's too late. I am a lost cause. And no longer do I have peace with God. But I want you to notice something in our text that may give us a clue to just how lasting peace with God is. And we actually need to go just a, a little bit towards the end there to verse 21 and 22. The second time Jesus said, peace be with you. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And then he said that, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So why is this here? Why do we have this instance of Jesus giving them the Holy Spirit? Especially when we have this moment that says that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But then we know as we look at the full counsel of Scripture and we go to the book of Acts that he also told them, wait until you receive power from on high. Why is there this moment in John, but then in the book of Acts, a very different moment with the, the Spirit and the filling up of the Spirit at Pentecost? And I believe that the answer is found in the Scriptures. And about what the Bible says elsewhere about the Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we read these words. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God. Who has sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. So maybe, maybe this moment in Jesus' thing was less about the, the, the huge moment that was about to happen at Pentecost. Maybe it was less about the birth of the church that we find at Pentecost. And maybe it had something to do with this pledge that God was making with us. Well, what is the pledge? We can find that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. We read this. It says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So this pledge, this spirit that is our seal, is something that has sealed us until the day that Christ returns. Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on his followers so that they would be his. 
and that they would be his no matter what. And brothers and sisters, that's true for you also. If indeed you are really in Christ to begin with. This declaration of peace is accompanied with the presence of the Spirit in your life as a reminder that you belong to God, that we belong to God through Christ, and that there is no scheme of the enemy, there is nothing that anyone can do anywhere, anywhere, anyhow, that may somehow snatch you from the loving hand of God the Father. You are His. Guys, this is great news. This is the best news. See, because what this tells us today is that Jesus has taken care of my sins, even the ones that have happened since I gave my life to Christ, that Jesus has taken care of my sins, even the ones that I'm not even aware yet that I'm going to give into, that Jesus had paid the price for my sins, even when I was off being stupid and doing my own thing, Jesus had paid it all. And those years where I was walking in sin and doing my own things and I was miserable because of it because the Holy Spirit was still working in my life and knowing that I would never find pleasure, never find satisfaction, never find hope in this world. And even then, God still called me home. And he has and he will for you also. If you are here today, you are here today for a reason. And that reason is God is not done with you. That God has something for you. And it's not riches and wealth and, and, and comfort and, and, and you getting all of your desires. But he has a purpose and a plan for your life. You do not have to go through life seeking some sort of meaning and significance. Because you will find that in Jesus Christ. And I don't care how far from God you've wandered. He still has a purpose and a plan for your life. And the moment you make that turn, you repent and you begin to start trusting him again and you begin to start walking with him again, he will blow your mind at just how good he is and how much he has planned for you. This leads us to one last thing about Jesus' message of peace to his disciples. There's one more thing I want you to understand today, and it's also found in the verses that we just read. Jesus said to his disciples in verse 21, he says, Peace be with you, as the Father sent me, I also send you. This has been a verse that has been at the very core of Tunnel Hill Baptist Church for quite some time. In fact, there was a very long season in this church where you could not come on Sunday and not hear those words. And we believe that those are the absolute bedrock cornerstone of why Tunnel Hill Baptist Church even exists. See, God sent his one and only son so that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus' words here in John 21, 2021 says that now God, Jesus, God sent Jesus and Jesus sent us. 
And he has sent us so that people might know who Jesus is and that they might believe so that they do not perish but have everlasting life. See, this statement in John 20, 21 is is at the very heart of it is the gospel call, the Great Commission. And we have been given a message, if indeed we are in Christ. And I want to make sure that you hear that message today. If you're here today, you have probably figured out by now, I believe there's a God. In fact, I believe there's a God in heaven who created all things. And all things were made through him and all things were made for him. And that they were made on purpose with a purpose. And that includes you in this room. And in reality, if we could just do what God wanted us to do, we'd have no problems. We would be able to live in his fellowship and blessings and favor and everything would be just wonderful. But we don't. In fact, the Bible says that the very first two people had one command. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they couldn't even obey that one command. And it says that Adam and Eve, that they ate of the tree and their eyes were opened and they were filled with shame and they tried to hide from God and sin entered the world. And that that sin has affected everything in the world and, is it, and it has affected you, and it has affected me. And that sin is what is in us that makes us want to not want what God ha- wants for us. It makes us, it, it causes us, it provokes us, and, and, and causes us to want to seek out our own way, to do our own thing, to have our own purpose and plan. And we leave God, and we leave his purpose, and we leave his plan, and go our own way. And when we depart from God's design, that's called sin. And sin is just us doing what we want, when we want, how we want, regardless of what God wants. If you're making decisions and it's all about me, 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 you're probably sinning. And we're not judging you. We're telling you what we experience. This is what I do. And even today, I still see the effects of sin in my heart and in my mind and in my life. And sin takes us somewhere. And that somewhere is a place called brokenness. I want you to think about this for just a second. Has there ever been a day in your life where you felt like, I'm not who I should be? I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Why did I do that? I know better. Why do I feel like I just don't belong, that I just don't fit in? Why do I just feel wrong, icky, like I need to make a change? Guys, that's brokenness. And you can look to your left and you can look to your right. And everyone in this room has felt that very same thing. You are not alone. And we all try to do a lot of things to try to fix that brokenness. Some of us say, well, if I'm successful, I'll, maybe I'll fix that brokenness. And so we work extra hard. Some of us say, if I'm a good parent and I'm the best parent I can be, maybe I can have not broken kids and that will, re, will, will fix my brokenness. And so they pour all their whole life into their kids. Some people say, I don't want to feel broken anymore. And so they turn to drugs and alcohol. 
and a myriad of other things in order to numb and to hide their brokenness. But one thing that we know for sure is no matter how we try to hide our brokenness, to numb our brokenness, to fix our brokenness, when the day is done and we look in the mirror, we know we're still broken. And so we need something outside of our brokenness to step in. And that's exactly what Jesus did. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died a death for your sins and for mine. And he rose from the grave three days later. And even now he has ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says if you will believe this, you will not perish but have everlasting life. And indeed, if you want to make a change in your life, the Bible says it very clearly. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God did, in fact, raise him from the dead, that you will be saved. And so the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to be broken forever. But if you will recognize that Jesus is the Christ, Believe that everything that the Bible says about Jesus is true and surrender to him as his as and surrender to him as your Lord and Savior, that you can be delivered from that brokenness and you can begin to recover and pursue God's design for your life. This is the message of the gospel. And I can say it a lot shorter than that. But I'm preaching, so I gotta fill up a certain amount of time, okay? And this is the message that God has for you. And this is the message that we need to share with others. It is a message of peace. Now, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus and you still sense yourself living in that state of brokenness, trying to hover, cover it, trying to fix it, trying to numb it, but you've never surrendered yourself to God, I want you to spark it right there. And I want you to think as we continue on in this, have I given my life to Jesus? And if the answer is no, ask this question, what is stopping you? But if you're with us today, and you have given Jesus Christ your heart and you are his and, and he is yours, then I want you to understand this next statement and I want you to hear it very clearly. God never intended for the good news of peace with God through Christ to end with you. I've said it in this church building before. And it is something that should ring in our ears and be a burden to our heart every day. And it is this, God never intended the gospel to die with you. There is someone who needs to hear the good news from you. If you are in Christ here today, you want, I want to think back for just a moment. Who was it that shared with you the good news of the gospel? Was it a preacher? Maybe. Was it a vacation Bible school teacher? Maybe. Was it a Sunday school teacher? Maybe. 
Was it your mom or your dad or your grandma or grandma, regardless of who it was, somebody stepped into your life and passed this good news along. Someone stepped into your life and said, said I want to tell you about Jesus. And guys, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn to be that friend, to be that parent, to be that teacher, to be that stranger on the street or that crazy person on the street corner that tells someone else about Jesus. God the Father sent his only son into this world so that he might reconcile the world to himself. And now we, have been recon we who have been reconciled must take this news to others who have yet to hear it so that they might believe and be set free. See, the church of God is a church of emancipators, of people who will go into other people's lives and declare that you can be free from sin in Christ. See, the people out there that aren't in a church service this morning, they're not our enemy. They're our goal. Because those are the ones who need to hear it and need to see it and need to experience it through us so that they too might be set free as we are set free. Paul said it this way in the second letter to the Corinthian church. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, for he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What a statement. I want to read that again. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When was the last time you said that to somebody? When was the last time someone said that to you? What are we going to do with this message of peace? First, for those of you that should be parked back as, am I willing to give my life to Jesus? Our question for you is, will you believe it? I know that there are many of you that are here today that have heard this message but have not yet given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've heard this message one times, two times, nine times, 99 times, 100 times. But the question still remains, will today be the day that you believe? That in fact, Jesus is the Christ and give your life to him. My big question is this, what's stopping you? 
If the answer is nothing, then we invite you to do that today. Let this Resurrection Sunday be the day that you pass from death into life just like Jesus did. If you have questions, then by all means, ask them. Because undoubtedly you are here with somebody because they made you come. And you should thank your mama for doing it. And ask them, and if they don't know the answer, then you ask me. And if I don't know the answer, ask Joe, because he's way smarter than me. But somebody here in this church wants to tell you what it means to know Christ. Others of you need to let the peace of God wash over you and repent and return to Him. I want you to hear this very clearly. He, God, is not against you. And you are here today because He is still calling you back to Himself. Your story is not over, nor is your walk with Him done. There is still time for God to do something amazing in you and through you. So will you return? And finally, I know that there are some here today that God has specifically called into his service. My question for you is this, what are you waiting for? I know some of you have been walking with the Lord for some time and for some reason that some, something has happened in the last year, the last month, the last day, and you, God has placed a burden on your heart to pass this gospel on to someone else. Maybe it's an individual that you work with or that you see on the regular. Maybe it's the person that makes your coffee every morning. Or, the, or a, a, a server at the, your favorite restaurant. Or a guy that you drive in a car with every day to work. Maybe it's a group of people. And you see the same bunch of people. Maybe it's people you work with. Maybe it's a group of immigrants that have moved into Elizabethtown and are trying to get their stuff figured out. Maybe it's a whole section of your family that is far from God. Maybe it's youth or children or young adults or not so young adults that God has placed a burden on you for. What are you waiting for? Don't wait for the burning bush. If you're waiting for a donk talking donkey, here I am. But don't wait another day to be obedient to what God is calling you to do. God has put you exactly where you are right now in order to accomplish His perfect will, to do something great through your life. What are you waiting for? If you're waiting for the perfect time, you'll never find it. For behold, now is the appointed time, and now is the day of salvation. Who is God calling you to be a messenger? Jesus said, just as the Father sent me, I send you. Will you go? So I ask the question again, what will you do with the message of peace in Christ. We have come to our time of invitation and we here in this church still like to give people an opportunity to respond to the message. As we come up, we are going to sing one more song and we're going to sing it in its entirety today.
If God is calling you to do something, to respond to this message in some way, we would invite you to do so. Now, that may be coming up and talking to me and saying, hey, I want to give my life to Jesus right now. I want to have that conversation with you. It might just be I need to come up to these steps and I need to pray and I need to just lift something up to God and I need to hand over the things that I have been holding on to instead of holding on to him. Maybe you want to have a talk with me about what God has burdened with your, your heart with so that we can just pray together and you can leave here on mission. You don't have to come up. But if God's moving you to come, we invite you to do so. But don't let the message of peace die with you. Let us pray. Our gracious God and King, we stand in all of your goodness. Lord, the words of Jesus weigh so heavy on my heart today. Peace be with you. God, I praise you that you have given us this ministry of reconciliation, that you have given us this message of peace that we are, are to take to the people. And Father God, first I stand in awe that you saw fit to make peace with me, a sinner and a rebel far from you. And God, I am going to do everything I can to get that message out to the nations. And Lord, I know that starts here. But Lord, you use me to the utmost of my ability. And God, I don't care if you use up my very life for the sake of your kingdom. You can have it all. Lord, I pray that we here today may be in one accord on that very thing. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that needs to give their life to Jesus, Lord, that today would be the day that they did so. And God, that through all of this, your name might be glorified and that many, many, many more will come to know you through the echoes of today in this church. God, we ask those things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.